Welcome back to another episode of Cohen's Corner. The Mets have definitely struggled offensively recently. Um, They're still in first place in the NL East, but their lead has begun to drop from, I think it peaked at five games to now they're only up by two games. So Jake and I have a lot to talk about with why this has happened and some other kind of factors that have gone into the team's recent slide where, you know, overall they're still in a good position, but we're still kind of have some questions about how they can improve over the rest of the season. As the trade deadline's coming up, we're going to get into that. The Mets are kind of rumored to be suitors for a few different players throughout MLB. So we're going to talk about maybe who some of those could be, what some potential deals might be, because, you know, obviously the Mets are still in a good position, but they are in a space where they can improve if they want to really make a push towards the end of the season. So we're going to get into all of that current state Mets, future state Mets, everything that has been going on recently. So Jake, I guess we can talk about how the Mets have kind of fared recently. Um, As we're recording this, it's the first day of the Subway Series for 2021. And the Mets and the Yankees, as far as I'm aware, actually have the same amount of wins. Although you wouldn't necessarily know it from how I feel like Yankees fans are treating the season like a complete failure. But granted, they are in fourth place in the AL East. So the Mets' 41 wins has somehow vaulted them to the top of the NL East, which is definitely a good place to be. But I guess, Jake, what has kind of been your your main impression of, I guess just, I mean, we all know the team like hasn't really been hitting that much all year, but what do you kind of attribute these recent kind of failures just to score runs, especially early in games? That's something the Mets have really failed to do over the last couple weeks is pounce on the opposing starter. So what have kind of been your main takeaways, I guess, from how they've been doing in that respect over the last couple weeks? Well, it's, it's kind of crazy to me because early in the season when the Mets were pretty healthy, I mean, their offense was struggling and people just thought, oh, they'll come around, but they weren't hitting well with runners in scoring position. They weren't getting the job done when they needed to. Like you mentioned, they weren't uh, jumping on starters early in the game. And since McNeil's come back and Conforto and they're getting healthy again, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, it feels like the replaced Mets were kind of doing getting the job done better offensively. And obviously the pitching has carried them the entire year, but I don't know. I don't know if they're – I guess they're just pressing at the plate. I mean, the only time they've really jumped on a starter early, the other day Pete Alonso hit a two-run home run to start the game off Freed or whoever started that game. They lost 20-2. to two. So, I mean, that's the one time I feel like they jumped out early. And I'm like, all right, well, maybe they're starting to break out of it. So, I, so I don't know. It's been that first inning. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's been really frustrating. So, I, obviously, with uh, the struggles that Lindor's had, I mean, they've been noted. Um, McCann's been hitting the ball really well the last month or so. I think he's been hitting around like 300 the last month. So he's been hitting a lot better than he did to start the year. Conforto struggled since he's come off. McNeil struggled since he's come off the IL. So I don't know. I mean, we keep saying, and they keep saying that it's going to turn around at some point, but I mean, we got to get going here because the lead in the NL East is kind of evaporating. It was five games. I feel like just a few days ago, and now it's already down to two. So, I mean, the nationals are playing really good baseball. Kyle Schwarber is the hottest hitter on the face of the earth. So um, the Mets really need to kick it into gear here before it's too late. Clearly got the wrong discarded Cubs outfielder in the offseason. They could have easily had Kyle Schwarber if they wanted and then got Elmora instead, who has played some decent defense. But I mean, let's be honest, his bat has definitely leaves a lot to be desired. And yeah, Schwarber has like single-handedly killed the Mets during his hot streak in June. He had like 12 or 13 leadoff home runs in June alone. I think he hit, I, I don't know, some like, or that might not be true, but he had like at least 13 home runs in June alone and is basically single-handedly carried the Nationals and the Nationals are interesting because like I don't know I feel like every year or at least at the beginning of the season we like write them off but they're pesky like they they actually have some really good hitters and they've continued to I mean their offense has been pretty solid over the course of the year and they've had some injuries in their pitching with you know Scherzer going on the aisle points Strasburg being injured but I, I'm honestly hesitant. You know, I kind of counted them out at the beginning of the year and figured they wouldn't be a threat, but 
I'm now kind of ready to acknowledge that they could be a legitimate threat for the division title. I, I don't think, you know, the NL East as a whole, as a division, hasn't been super competitive if you look at their actual records. But I, that's the thing is, like, I feel like, yes, the Mets are still in first place, but they can't afford to just, like, sit pretty and assume that everyone else is just going to be terrible because they have a lot of games against each other. You know, these games, they've the Mets have just finished a stretch of, like, 16 straight games against NL East teams. And I think they were six and 10 or in that stretch or it's definitely under 500 against against in that stretch. And you would think if you look at the records of like the Phillies, the Braves and the nationals, you would think that the Mets on paper would have been able to at least be above 500 in that stretch. But I, I that's the problem is like, I feel like they haven't played super well against the NLEs this year. And uh, these other teams have, I just feel like they they just seem more dangerous at the plate than the Mets do right now. I mean, you know, and, and also we talked about, you just mentioned like the replace Mets, like doing better than some of their quote unquote regulars. I mean, I feel like, you know, VR has been on the aisle for the last couple weeks. So hopefully if, if he, some combination of him or Nimmo at the top of the lineup is, will hopefully maybe provide another spark because I feel like VR was getting on base to lead off the game, like almost every game. And if you notice the Mets have barely scored any first inning runs over the last few games. And maybe that has something to do with it because I feel like VR was either getting a hit or at least walking to lead off the game, like almost every game. So they definitely need some sort of spark back at the top of their lineup. And with McNeil leading off and struggling, he hasn't, he, he hasn't really produced much out of that leadoff spot. And I don't, I don't think he'll be there for much longer if, if someone else comes back who is a more traditional leadoff hitter. So I just think they, they haven't been able to like start off strong in that first inning. And I feel like just the offense has been like set. And then the problem is when you face these good pitchers, especially like Zach Wheeler or whoever, usually the best time to get to them is in the first inning. And that's what you saw with DeGrom yesterday. The Braves pounced on him for three runs in the first inning and didn't get anything else the rest of the game. So I, I just feel like the Mets need to be able to start off stronger in these games to not have to come back in the seventh inning every time. And I think that's what we're seeing is they're showing some life late, but it's just not enough because you can't, you know, not every team's going to score six runs a game, but you can't not score anything until the seventh inning every game and expect to win. That's just not going to happen. Yeah, you're right. And, I mean, a few times that they've showed life in the early innings, like you mentioned Zach Wheeler. I mean, the game he started, I remember they had guys on base in the first inning. When they faced Nola that day, that Nola broke that strike or tied Tom Seaver's strikeout record. I mean, in the first inning, they had second and third after Lindor had doubled to send McNeil over to third. They had second and third, nobody out, they couldn't score. They're getting guys on base at times. They're just not coming through with that clutch hit to kind of break themselves out of this funk. And, I mean, yeah, you're right. McNeil really at the top of the lineup since he's come back has been a huge disappointment. And with Nimmo, supposed to, he's supposed to come back this weekend, I think. So he's an on-base machine. So you can only think that with him returning to the lineup spot that that's going to give the lineup a, a big spark at the top of the lineup. And, I mean, hopefully that'll help create more runs. But, yeah, it's just been, it's been really frustrating because on paper, I mean, this is a really good lineup. Like the guys that you look up, look up and down this lineup, I mean, it's a really talented lineup. So I don't understand – I don't understand why they're not scoring runs. I mean, is it the approach? Is it this? They fired Chili Davis, and then they hit a little better, and now they're back in this funk. I mean, I, I don't know what they can do at this point. I mean, and we'll get to possible trade candidates that they can go after. But, I mean, the lineup that they have constructed right now, I know they're still missing a couple guys, but it's still a pretty dangerous lineup, a lineup that you would think could score runs, especially, I mean, when you got to Grom last night, or he looked mortal. For the first time in a long time, he looked mortal. And, I mean, what? He gave up – you're right. He gave up the three runs in the first inning, and then – he shut them down the rest of the way. He gave up like two hits to start the second, and I think he retired every batter the the rest of the game. So, I mean, DeGrom was DeGrom last night. He had one rough inning, and his worst start of the year, think about that. What did he have, 14 strikeouts? Only gave okay, up three 14 runs. 14 strikeouts. He struck out eight in a row for the second time this year. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like 
even like him giving up three runs in the first, I don't really worry about that because if you actually watch the game, the leadoff triple was like basically a ground ball that Alonzo didn't get to. I mean, I don't think, I don't know what the like exit velocity on that was, but it wasn't hit hard. He did allow a few hits and the home run to Riley. I mean, that was a decent pitch that Riley just like happened to hit out. So, Riley just know, like poked his bat out at it. Yeah. And it was a hundred mile per hour pitch and just flicked it out to right. So field. that, that start really doesn't like bother me that much at all. And I admit, you know, especially when like he gave up the three runs in the first, you know, first and first and third and nobody out in the third in the second, I was like, Oh no, is this going to be like a sip six run? Like, you know, disaster, but to, you know, to his credit, like, like I've said, Jacob deGrom, even after he's given up runs is still the best pitcher on the team. So like, I still would trust him more than anyone else to actually get out of that jam. And then he actually did. So it's tough to navigate around a leadoff triple, especially when that was very interesting because Adrianza fouled the ball off of himself to start the game. And I was like, Oh, maybe he's like down. And then of course, like the next pitch, he gets a triple. And I was like, how was he even able to leg out a triple after that? That was, and he was almost thrown out at third base too. They was originally called out. And they overruled it. So DeGrom's going to give up runs. His ERA still being under one in July is like incredible. I mean, I feel like Mets fans are so spoiled at this point because like DeGrom's given up three runs at a start before. He did it last year. He did it the year before. He does it every, you know, it's not like unfathomable. So he's like the absolute least of my concerns in terms of them having lost that series finale to the Braves, especially with the offense that we said on paper should be really dangerous. I, I do worry that. I just feel like a lot of the players they have can be streaky at times. You know, Conforto, we talked about, he's always been a streaky player. You can't count on him week in and week out to be hot. McNeil's, McNeil, I feel like, is the most puzzling to me because he true, like, he, I still believe that he has, he can be like a 300 hitter. I just don't know if it's like his own approach at the plate or if the pitchers are just pitching him better now than they like were in 2018 and 19. I'm sure both sides have made adjustments in that respect. I don't know if he's putting too much pressure on himself at the top of the lineup. I, I honestly do feel like, though, McNeil is not a leadoff hitter because I just don't think you can rely on him to get on base. He doesn't walk enough. And that's why if some if either VR or Nemo can replace him there and drop McNeil, honestly drop him to seventh or eighth, I, I hopefully that'll that will help. I just don't know if he has, like, the makeup to be a leadoff hitter, which is why he hasn't really let off for the Mets much when Nemo or VR has been healthy. So... I think that change, you know, if one of those two comes back in the next few days, I think that will that change will be made in the lineup and he'll be dropped down, which is probably where he should be, at least for the near future. Yeah, I agree. And earlier in the year when McNeil was struggling, before he got hurt, I think Rojas moved him down the lineup and he started hitting a lot better. So I think, I mean, obviously they're hitting him at the top of the lineup right now because they really don't have another option. What are you going to do, hit Guillaume in the leadoff well, spot? Honestly, so. either Guillaume. Guillaume's been getting on base better than anyone else in the lineup. I would rather lead off. He's not fast, but I would rather, if in this current configuration without Nimmo, Nimmo or VR, I would rather lead off with Guillaume because I feel like at least he's much more patient than McNeil is. So he's more likely to draw a walk or, you know, poke a hit. I mean, maybe Pilar at the top. They've done that a few times. It's not an ideal situation, but at this point – I feel like you often hear about your leadoff hitter should be your best on-base percentage guy. And I feel like in this current configuration, if Nemo or VR is out for longer, I feel like you, you I just feel like you can't keep leading off with McNeil if he's not hitting or walking. It, it's yeah, just not a recipe for success in the first inning. Like we've said, they're not going to score runs if he's either, if he's hitting the first pitch to a fielder every single day to lead off the game. I mean, maybe even try, obviously struggled this year, but I mean, in his career, Lindor has hit lead off plenty of times. So, I mean, you could try him in the leadoff spot, but hopefully this point is mute when uh, um, Nimmo comes back this weekend and hopefully he uh, 
picks up where he left off. Cause I mean, he's always, even this year, I mean, he's an on-base machine and he gets on base all the time, whether he's sprinting his walks out or he's driving in singles. He, he's got a little pop too at the top of the lineup. So Nimmo's your ideal leadoff yeah. hitter. So I think with him returning, I mean, hopefully, like I said, that'll bring a nice spark to the lineup. I mean, they're willing to try anything at this point because the lineup has just been a complete, whether it's injuries or whatever, the lineup has been a complete disappointment this year. And obviously Lindor has been the biggest disappointment. And I mean, he's had times where he's looked like he's turned in the corner and then there's other times where it looks like he's swinging with his eyes closed. So, I mean, I I don't know kind of where they go from here with him. I mean, hopefully he kind of kicks it into gear at some point. I mean, you got to hope with the money we're paying him. I mean, he's continued to play great defense. I mean, the play he made for DeGrom on that tough hop last night, I mean, He's making some great plays in the field. I mean, at least that his hitting hasn't really carried over to the field. And it doesn't seem like his leadership has really taken a hit either. He's still a great leader on this team. And that's obviously helping in the clubhouse. But he's got to start to hit. He's coming up in too many clutch situations that he's not coming through. I mean, last week, obviously, against the Phillies, he had that clutch hit where he tied the game. He did have the go-ahead hit against the Braves in the first game of the series. So I'll give him credit for that. That was clutch. Yeah, two outs he's had a couple like this week. But, like, eighth, singles, he's not driving eight. the ball like he did in Cleveland. You know what I mean? Like, he's not – He's not hit. He's got the doubles he's hit. And look at the double he hit against Philly the other day, the little bloop double he hit that probably should have been caught the bounce in the stands. But he doesn't seem like he's got that real uh, power punch at the plate that he had in Cleveland. And uh, it's definitely been lacking home runs as a team. The Mets yeah, have absolutely. not hit that many home runs this season. And it's kind of showing in the in their results. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look around the league, like it's not like teams as a whole are hitting more home runs than usual. But when Pete Alonso is leading the team right now with three, with 13 home runs, I mean, you figure he could have had at least like 20 by now. And yeah, he was out for like 10 days. But even with that said, you're right. The Mets as a team just haven't hit that many home runs. And you hear often in baseball today about, oh, teams have like home run or nothing approach. I feel like the Mets have just, they haven't even had that. They, it's not like they've only been hitting home runs and haven't scored other runs. They just haven't been scoring runs and haven't been hitting the home runs either. You know, I, I think Alonzo's the only one with even double digits on the team at this point. And it's not so much, oh, they all, like, need to be hitting tons of home runs. But, and you know, it, I, I find it hard to believe that, like, the dead-end ball this year is only affecting the Mets because other teams aren't having that much trouble hitting home runs this year. So it's like, why? I don't think that's, like, an excuse. And not that they have wielded it, but I don't really think that would be an excuse, I would believe, in terms of why they haven't hit that many homers, especially since – and I, I guess, too, you know, there a couple of their power bats have been out. Like, Davis is definitely, when healthy, can be one of their most powerful hitters. But he has been out for, like, two months. Dom Smith has started to come around with the power recently. He had a couple home runs in the game last night. The thing is, even if we're talking about, like, power numbers being down, honestly, the last person in this lineup that I'm going to rag on is Pete Alonso. Because at least, he look at his batting average. He's batting, like, 265, 270. That has to be the highest on the team of anyone that hasn't been injured. And, like, too, he's driven in, like, 40 runs so far this year. I mean, he's on pace for a good season, even if his power numbers are down. So I'm really not going to put much blame on, like, Pete for not having hit that many home runs, even though it is true. But he still has produced pretty well over over the season. Has he been, like, outstanding? Not necessarily. I still can't fault a 260-270 batting average, especially when the whole league is basically batting, like, 230 this year. So... Definitely, I agree. I feel like a lot of the lineup blame has to come from not from him specifically. I feel like he's still – I've actually appreciated his approach at the plate this year. I mean, is it kind of odd to see him, like, hitting more singles the opposite way? Yes. But, I mean, if he's getting hits, I think that's still a good sign. So, I've, like, in general, liked what I've seen from him specifically. I feel like the disappointment, quote-unquote, has to come from McNeil not really hitting, even though he was injured for a while. 
Conforto have not having done much. Conforto's hit like what two home runs this year? I mean, you'd expect him to have hit some more by now, even though he was out. So definitely the lack of power from others besides Alonso has been noticeable. And I think just their lack of just getting that like big hit often comes from a home run. And you haven't really seen that that much. Yeah, they haven't hit their home runs. And I mean, yeah, definitely Conforto, especially in a contract year. I know he's been, I know he's hurt. But even when he's been on the field, like you said, he just has not driven the ball out of the ballpark. I mean, it just hasn't happened. And you kind of would expect it to, even though over his career, he's been a very streaky hitter. I mean, he's still managed to hit 20, 25 home runs every season, you know? So, I mean, that's very surprising. And I mean, although he's played it, I mean, we keep talking about these guys have played good defense. Like Conforto's played a good right field, but his bat has just come up very short so far this year. So it's been very frustrating, but I mean, why don't we get into uh, what we think they could trade for? I mean, because this lineup could use some punch. And I know a report came out today that uh, the Mets possibly could be interested in Josh Donaldson. And I know he's created plenty of enemies this season, but I mean, he still has the ball out of the ballpark. And he still drives the ball hard. He's still a good hitter. So, I mean, his problem really is also staying on the field. But when he's been on the field this year, he's, he's not at that MVP level that he used to be at. But I think he certainly would be an upgrade in this Mets lineup, whether you like him off the field, what he says, all this stuff. But uh, what do you think about him, the player, specifically? Yeah, I mean, Donaldson, he's a decent third baseman. He's a very good hitter. I just worry, like, he is 35 and has had injury issues this year. And I just have a feeling placing too much hope on him, like, carrying the offense for the rest of the year, I I feel like that would be asking too much. And I I also think the Mets, like, if they were going to get Donaldson, I don't think they would give up that much, like, just for him. I've definitely heard kind of some people floating the idea of trying to get Donaldson and Berrios from the twins, which would be amazing. Berrios is a really good pitcher and they could certainly use him. I just don't know, like personally, especially if Davis is coming back, hopefully at some point, I mean, you hate to like pin all your hopes on injured players. I don't know if I'm like going to give up. I I really don't think I would give up that much for Donaldson, to be honest. Like, I mean, yes, he has hit well in his career and has hit pretty well this year too. And certainly could provide that spark to the lineup. I mean, like I said, everyone wrote off Kyle Schwarber basically before the year. And look what he's done for the Nationals. He's carrying that team in the leadoff spot, hitting home runs like every day. So, yeah, the Mets do need more hitting. But I don't know if I would really give up. If they could get him for like not that much at all, then maybe. I really wouldn't give up that many assets for him, especially since he is 35 and has been injury prone. And who knows? I I just have a feeling he would get it. Like, this is probably not the right reason to not want him. I just have a feeling he'd get injured like as soon as he came to the Mets and it would be for naught. And then I feel like it would just be a waste. Yeah, I could see that. And his, he's got a big contract. I mean, his contract doesn't end. I think it runs through 2023 and then he's got, there's like a club option for 2024, but he's making good money. I think he's on like a four year, $92 million. He's making like, like yeah, he's making over 20 mil a year. Yeah. So, I mean, think he's about that cheap. with his injury history. You're right. I mean, cause he's had a lot of calf problems, I believe over like the last two years and it keeps coming up. So, I mean, yeah, I could totally see that. You're right. I mean, that would be the typical thing to happen to the Mets. Bring him in. I mean, even if you don't trade a lot for him, he comes in. You think he's going to be your kind of – not your savior, but he's going to create that spark at third base because he'll – like you said, he could play a good third base, and that's been the problem. He's definitely better defensively than Davis, Davis at third base. Yeah, because most people look how, are, Look how good the defense has been between whoever you stick over there, McNeil from time to time, but really Guillaume and Peraza – and VR at third base. I VR mean, they, especially. It played a really good defensive third base. And I know Guillaume had that play where people think he could have beat Acuna to the bag, whatever. Guillaume's played a fantastic – he's played fantastic defense, whether you put him at second or third base. He's played great. So, I mean, when Davis comes back, the defense is definitely going to take a hit. 
And I think one of the reasons the pitching has been so good is because of how good the defense has been team-wide. I mean, in the outfield, look at look at the plays the other day that Conforto and Pilar made to start the game. Pilar Dodgers is, in the outfield. People saying Pilar is like not good defensively in center. I don't know. I feel like he's been excellent, especially by the eye test. He, I mean, he, everything he gets, his to, instincts are just very strong. Like you just, he never gets a bad break on the ball, you know? And I feel like that's, and he's not afraid of anything after he, even right when he came back from his broken nose, he's diving all over the place. He doesn't care. He's fearless out there. And I'll take that any day of the week. But yeah, so I think when Davis comes back and if you want to play him a third every day, I mean, the, the defense is definitely going to take a hit. We saw early in the few games that Davis was on the field this year, we saw how bad his defense is at third base, whether it was, his throwing problems and he's getting the yips, he's missing balls. I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's scary with him at third base. And yeah, he can provide that power punch probably, but I don't know if I want to stick him at third base defensively every day. And if you got somebody like Donaldson, I mean, he can hit and he can play a solid defensive third base. Yeah, that's the thing. Well, honestly, I don't know. I mean, forgetting a trade with Donaldson, like I don't know if they're just going to stick JD at third base every day when he comes back, to be honest, because I just feel like VR has been so valuable. I don't don't see how you can just regular, I don't think they're going to regularly take both VR, I don't think VR and Guillaume are just going to be relegated to the bench. Like, I, I think if JD is going to have to, like, earn a starting spot at third, because they have a third, they have two other third basemen who can, I mean, Guillaume, he's mostly a singles hitter. VR has definitely more power. So I, I don't see how you can just hand, I, I don't think they should or will, hopefully. I don't think they're just going to, like, hand him the starting third base job, especially if VR comes back almost at the same time or probably before. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know about the Donaldson thing. I think if they somehow manage to get Jose Barrios as well, I could live with it. I just don't see them like giving up a ton of assets for like a 35-year-old with a huge contract when they already have a lot of other big contracts. Like I know they I know they want to win this year and I get that. And he he is a real he's still a very good player, but I don't know if that's where the resources should be allocated even though yes, they do need more hitting. It's tough. It's like I don't really like him like that much as a person. So I know that's like not the most important thing. I don't know how he would like mesh with the clubhouse if they did trade for him. I'm sure it would probably be fine. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say I'm like head over heels in love with the idea. If they pulled it off and didn't give up that much, who knows? Maybe he could be that second half spark. Maybe he could like be a Cespedes. Who even knows? I wouldn't say I'm like jumping out of my seat, like anticipating that idea. I agree with you. I mean, I, I think I would certainly take it for the right price, but the guy, I mean, I, I said it in the offseason, I really want him, but the guy I really want is Chris Bryant. If the Cubs continue to fall out of the NL Central race. And he can the, play the outfield, too. That's the thing. He can play anywhere. You can put him anywhere. If you want to put him at first, he can play left, center, right, third. He can play anywhere, like you, wherever you want. And that's really valuable. And if you want to play him at third base every day, he can play a really good defensive third base. And he's hitting really well this season. I mean, he's kind of back to form. He's been able to stay on the field, which has been huge for him. So, I mean, at the right price, again, I mean, if you're going after Bryant, that's probably going to take more to get him, even though he is in a contract year, he'll yeah, be a free definitely. agent after the season. But, I mean, he could be that really valuable piece that could potentially put the, this Mets lineup over the top and kind of get them going. Because I, I just think Bryant's a great guy in the clubhouse. And who knows, maybe if you took on a guy like Craig Kimbrell and took on his salary, maybe it wouldn't take as much to trade for Bryant, which I wouldn't be that opposed to because Kimbrell's having trading. a good year. I don't see the Cubs trading Kimbrell, to be honest. Like, but if they're out of it, why, why not? But if they're not out of it. That's the thing. I mean, they've been playing a lot worse lately. They have. I don't know. I, I think the Cubs are in a tricky spot because you, know, you felt like before the season started that they were going to trade everyone, and then they started off really well. I would love I – th- I would much rather give up, like, one more bigger piece to get Bryant than to trade for Donaldson, even with the contract situation aside. Yeah, it's tough because, like, it's hard to know. 
I don't really, I just don't see the Cubs doing that at this time. Like unless they really fall off a cliff over I mean, the next they're, month. They're six and a half games behind the Brewers right now. So it's mm-hmm. not like they're right on them. So yeah. I mean, and before the season they were entertaining training Bryant. And mm-hmm. if they're gonna let Bryant walk in the offseason, I don't see why they wouldn't entertain trading him now and trying to get some pieces moving forward. And I think if the Mets went after a Bryant deal, they might be willing to part with somebody like JD Davis, trade him so you don't have to trade a top tier mm-hmm. minor league prospect, which I wouldn't be opposed to. If you're going after yeah. Bryant I wouldn't be opposed to putting J.D. Davis in a deal and maybe like a decent prospect or whatever they have to do. But that's why I'm saying if the Cubs, not if the Cubs are going to, I don't know if they're going to rebuild what they're going to do, but they got a lot of expiring contracts this year. I think Rizzo is going to need a new deal. Javi Baez Baez. is going to need a new deal. Brian's going to need a new deal. Like they got a lot of stuff to think about. So, and it seems like they were pretty willing to trade away pieces in the off season. I mean, they were talking to people about Contreras. Like if they're willing to trade Contreras too, I think that's got to tell you something, you know, like he's a, He's not a super young player. I mean, his contract will be up soon. But, I mean, if they're willing to talk on all these pieces, that you got to think that the Cubs are somewhat thinking of rebuilding in a way. But I just think if the Cubs were willing to trade – It's Bryant worth entertaining the possibility. Kimbrel, the yeah. price wouldn't be as high if you took on Kimbrel's contract. And he's been, Kimbrel has been pretty good this year. So you he's could been have unbelievable. Kimbrel, he's, he could be like yeah. an Addison Reed type. Bring him in, have him pitch in the seventh inning, eighth inning on a night that Lugo can't pitch. I mean, I think he could be a, he could be a value, valuable piece to the team as well if you were to trade for both of them. But uh, out of the one trade candidate that's out there right now, I think Chris Bryant would be at the top of my list for the Mets to go get. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's also been talk too. I don't know how you feel about some other trades with teams that definitely aren't haven't contended that well this year. I know the the Diamondbacks and Rockies keep coming up with in terms of options for trade candidates. I know like Herman Marquez as a starting pitcher, not obviously a bat for the Rockies, who has pitched really well for them this year. So I don't know. It depends on how like decimated the Mets rotation becomes. I mean, we don't know a hundred percent the Peterson situation. I, I don't know if the Mets are looking to like acquire a huge, like do a huge trade for a starter right now. If, but I just don't know if you can rely on Carrasco and Syndergaard at all. So I really think like, especially if Peterson ends up being out and they still don't really have a fifth starter. I mean, McGill's pitched well. I don't know how you'd feel about like aside from maybe also trading for a bat if they were to go after a starter. Like, what what would you kind of think about that possibility? Whether they should do it. Or and if so, who who you think they would go after? I mean, they don't really need a. There's a few frontline starters out there. Whether you want to consider Kyle Gibson a frontline starter, he's been having a really good year for Texas. Mm-hmm. I don't think they really need to do something like that. I think they should try to get some kind of back of the rotation arm that can take up some innings and keep in games. I mean, with this offense, keeping games kind of means giving up two runs. But, Zero runs. Yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> if you Daniel could shut Norris, the other team out, <laughs> Daniel Norris from the Tigers would have been a good option. I think he just got hurt. Wait, somebody's got hurt from the Tigers that I was thinking that they should go after and get. But, I mean, there's there's a few guys out You mentioned Marquez. There's some teams, I mean, from the Pirates. The Pirates have a few young starters. I don't know if they would want to part with. But, uh, yeah, you got to look at the teams that are really out of it, like the Diamondbacks and the Rockies and the Pirates, teams like that. Um, they're out but, of it for a reason, which means they probably don't have, like – I mean, the, the Pirates the definitely thing. have – pitching is otherworldly that you're going to yeah. go get. I feel like a lot of times, especially for teams that are really far out of it, it's usually because they haven't pitched well and not because they don't like I just feel like for these teams especially like the Diamondbacks like most of the time it's because the rotation and bullpen hasn't been good and not because they don't have any good position players so like I mean I think we're just seeing kind of players from the Diamondbacks and Rockies like floated as trade options more so than starters because there probably just are more good position players on those teams to be had than than pitchers yeah I don't know about like starters from the Pirates I don't really know if anyone has been good enough on the Pirates to to trade for really i'm not really yeah. sure I, I don't think they've had like one standout starter that i'm even aware of yeah. this year. 
Or the, the another name I saw floated out there a little was Michael Fulmer, who the uh, Mets traded mm-hmm. in the Cespedes For deal. Cespedes. And, and he's hurt right now, and he's he's pitched a little out of the rotation, a little out of the bullpen. I mean, he won the AL Rookie of the Year in 2016. He was a All Star in 2017. I mean, he's he's got the potential. I just think he could be a good option. I mean, he could be a high upside guy that you go after. I mean, like I said, he's hurt right now, so who knows? I think he's having neck problems, something like that. I mean, he could be a he could be a good fourth fifth starter for you just to get some innings here, especially while Peterson's hurt. I mean, Lucchese, it sucks. He was pitching really well, and then he went down with the Tommy John, which is horrible timing for him and the team. But yeah, I think that's what the Mets should be looking to do. Other other than upgrade their offense, they should definitely maybe even be looking at a couple bullpen arms, and but definitely I think a fourth or fifth type starter that can just, just to have give you some innings. Too. You never because know because they don't really have much to pull from right now. I mean. Yamamoto's hurt. I mean, a lot of their depth guys are hurt. We saw Jared Eikhoff. He's just not that good. He's so, I gone. Mean, they DFA'd him, I think. They need, yeah, gone. exactly. So they need to they need to do something. And they don't – with the way that Walker DeGrom and uh, Stroman have pitched at the top of the rotation, I don't think that you really need to go get a frontline type starter. You really just need somebody that's going to give you some bulk innings and uh, every fifth day kind of go out there and save the bullpen from having to bring in Sean Reed Foley for three innings or Thomas Zapucky or whoever you want to think to come in and give you long relief, you kind of need somebody to save the bullpen every fifth day. I mean, think about it. There's been plenty of short outings recently when Peterson's getting rocked or people are getting hurt, and um, it's going to wear on you over time. So to we're get a guy that can kind of give you some innings now. Would be great. They were winning more of those games, like, earlier on. I, I feel yeah. like that's just not sustainable. You know, I, they can't have starters coming out every fifth day after the third inning and expect to win that many of those games. I mean, I guess the problem is, like, you know, the Mets not hitting now is almost is way more frustrating than it was in middle of May when literally everyone was injured because there's now that people are back, it's there's no excuse anymore. No excuse. You know, it's like when when Cameron Mabin's batting third, you can almost like laugh it off and be like, oh, well, they're obviously not going to win today. So anything is gravy. And when they don't have any starting pitching, it's like, oh, well, Miguel Castro starting. We have to use the whole bullpen and Cameron Mabin's batting third. Like, let's just see, see if they can score a run, you know. But like once everyone's back, there, there's just higher expectations and like losing isn't like fun or acceptable. I mean, it never is, but it's like, you can't just like laugh it off as, oh, well, everyone's injured. And I feel like there just can't be, you know, going forward, especially now that the Mets at this point, a lot of their injured players are back or at least are about to be back. So there just can't be excuses for like, at this point, they just have to play better. You know, I just feel like there aren't really any more excuses to cling to in terms of why they aren't hitting. And at some point it just has to be that they aren't doing well. And if so, and no one's injured, then there needs to be, adjustments made so yeah I guess we'll we'll see in terms of the trade candidates I'm trying to think if there's anyone else I like haven't really thought of I'm glad you mentioned Kyle Gibson on the Rangers who has had a really good season and like yes he's pitched really well for them but is he going to command like a frontline starter return, probably think? because think about there's not he's going to have a lot of suitors, many options out there like yeah the options that a are lot of people there, are going to want him yeah that's the thing a lot of people are going to want him and from there's not a lot of options out there so I mean where else, what other, I mean, besides, like you mentioned, Barrios from Minnesota, I mean, he might get more just because he's younger and has a, probably a better track record. But, I mean, there's not that many frontline starters out there because there's honestly a lot of teams are somewhat in it. They don't know if they want to sell right now. I mean, that's kind of the problem too. But other than Kyle Gibson, I mean, there's a few, but he's kind of pretty much one of the best starters available, which is going to which gonna mean that he's going to take a lot and probably take a top prospect, which is something that the Mets – haven't really seemed like they're willing to part with, nor should they really be willing to part with because their farm system isn't that great as it is. They're not really loaded with top-tier prospects. Well, so. their top-tier prospects are on the lower levels. Like, exactly. they're so, years I mean, away. Yeah, so I mean, and I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't trade from their top prospects and they're, unless they're getting somebody really good with some controllable years. 
But, uh, yeah, but like you said, there's no excuses right now. The lineup is pretty much healthy. I mean, it's going to be really healthy this week when uh, Nimmo comes back. And, yeah, I, it's just – it's really frustrating. It's not like they're facing the best pitchers in the world. The best pitcher they probably faced over the stretch that they're doing really poorly Wheeler. is Zach Wheeler. And he, Zach Wheeler's having a really good year, and we all know the Mets probably should have held on to him, and that's a story for another day. But Nola set that record against them. Nola's not having that good of a year. He had like a four-something ERA four. coming into that game. Oh, that was so Ian Anderson did well against them. He's done well against them twice. He's having an okay year. He's not doing great. Max Fried's eh, okay, not doing great. Charlie Morton's not having a good year. I mean, until McCann hit that home run, the Mets hadn't done anything. It's not like they're facing the best pitchers in the world right now, and, and then it's kind of justified why they're not hitting. Like, they're facing mediocre pitchers. Last week, they're facing Matt Moore. They couldn't do anything. No. So, I mean, and Matt Moore's horrible. He's a journeyman starter that had an ERA in the high fives. So, I don't know. They got it. Like we said, they got to turn it around sooner rather than later. I just feel like at this point, you know, the season's halfway over. Yes, they're in first place. But I feel like the bar has to – there has to be more of a sense of urgency almost because they're in first place. Like, hey, listen, with how, like, not well they've hit this year, they're still in first place in the division. That should really light a fire in terms of – I would love to just see some sort of sense of urgency in terms of really needing to pick it up and, like, continue winning because this is a winnable division. Even with the Mets not hitting at all, this is still a winnable division. And, like, I don't think it's been – I don't, I don't, I haven't really felt that way in like several years, but I really feel like if the Mets can just hit some more, this is a winnable division. That hasn't always been the case over the last couple of years. The Braves have historically been better than they're projected to be this year. They've had more pitching in years past than they do now. And I definitely feel like if there's going to be a year, at least in the last few for the Mets to actually be the best team in the division, it's this one. And I think they have to not rest on their laurels with that fact, but actually take that that needing to like light a fire and actually run away with it. Because I, I feel like it'll be just really disappointing if they do end up falling back in the standings at this point. And you know, that hasn't happened yet. They are still in first, but that's not necessarily good enough at this point. I think they need to have more of a sense of urgency of actually just being a better team aside from that, because you have to, you know, there's a whole half a season left. Honestly, I really, I think the nationals are coming for them and like they, you never know in a week, they might be right there at the top because they're pesky and they they're, only, they're only two games back. Exactly. So like they can't just look at their record and see that as a success. I think they, I think there's a lot more to be improved upon. Like we've discussed. I, I think there's definitely a lot more there for them to pull from as hopefully like inspiration to have just a, hit, a better second half hitting wise. And, you know, I, I also, I don't want to act like the sky is falling either. Yes, it's great that they've been in first place for like 70 days in a row. That's incredible. And I'm honestly like very happy about that overall. But I do still think, like I said, I'm not just going to say that that's like good enough at this point for them to just rest on their laurels and assume that the team in its current configuration and its current kind of productivity is going to sustain it because they've lost now like 10 out of their last 16 games. They can't afford to go on a long losing streak because they're going to be surpassed in the division. And then there you go. And they're not going to win a wild card this year either, probably, because of the NL West, where I assume some combination of the Giants, Dodgers, and Padres will probably all be in the postseason unless one of them really falls off. So the division is where they have to focus, and they have to just put more effort in, hopefully, into really being the best team in the division going forward because they can be. I really think that they can be. I think they can win the division this year. They don't even have to be the best team in baseball to do it. The Mets have, like, the worst record out of any first-place team in all of baseball. So – yeah, but well, look know. how bad their offense has been, and look where they're exactly. at. Like, they've exactly. Like, they've done this bad, and, and they still have a two-game lead. They're the worst offensive team in baseball. 
That's the yeah, they are. Them and the Pirates, they're they're the two. They're worst literally thirtieth in so like bad. I mean, it's really game. bad, and they're still able to get the job done and exactly. kind of be in first place. But they also had what a six-game lead a week, a week and a half ago. That hopefully they would have been able to kind of just put everybody, not put them away. There's still a lot of season left, but build that to eight, nine games to have it drop now to two games. I mean, it's kind of demoralizing. And the Nationals are the hottest team in baseball right now, pretty much. So. I agree with you. I think the Nationals are definitely the biggest threat to the Mets right now. I mean, obviously the Braves could kick up at some time. I mean, Freddie Freeman's had a down year. Acuna's really carried that team to where they're at right now. But I'm not scared of the Phillies at all. After seeing how bad their bullpen is and just they look like a dumpster fire over there, I'm not scared of the Phillies. But uh, definitely the Nationals. The Nationals definitely, I think, will be the biggest threat to the Mets this season. We've seen them when they won the World Series. They were at in like May at one point. They had like the worst record in baseball in 2019. Came all the way back to win the World Series. So and anything's possible with that team. And like you said, they're pesky. They fight. Kyle Schwarber's on a tear. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. But uh, the Mets really got to get it get it going soon because they only have a two-game lead on the Nationals. And that could be – within the next week, that could be flipped. They could be down two games. By the time I edit this and it comes out, that hopefully won't be gone. So, yeah. I'm really, I'm really yeah. praying that that holds at least through the weekend. So, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's been an exciting season and frustrating season. It's crazy because it's been one of the most exciting seasons in recent memory for the Mets. But I feel like at the same time, it's been equally as frustrating at times. So uh, it's kind of hard to explain. I mean, there's been so many ups and downs. Well, it's because the expectations are higher this year. It's frustrating because, like, they are, but they also have played really well. And then they've had games where they just played like absolute shit and just played horrible and looked like they're the worst team in baseball at times. So, I mean, it's just. Yeah, it's been a roller coaster. That's I feel like that's the best way to put it. Is this season yes. up to this point has just been a complete roller coaster. But I mean, hopefully, in, hopefully things will turn around. Yes, in the midst of it all, though, I I would like to end with a slightly a slightly more positive assessment of the bets. Is that it is truly incredible how amazing Degrom has been this year. I mean, let's just appreciate that for another second. I know we talked about him a little bit earlier, but thank God that he's somehow managed to become even better in 2021 because. He, you're right. He, Stroman, and Walker have been incredible pillars to the team so far. We've talked about Walker before, probably their best signing or one of their best signings in the offseason. You know, I just continue to be impressed with how Jacob deGrom is able to make in-game adjustments better than, like, any starting pitcher mm-hmm. in baseball. Like, and I liked how he showed emotion when he gave up the three runs. He's throwing his glove. He's pissed, yelling at McCann. I mean, I, and I know he said after that he wasn't really yelling at McCann. He was yelling how – I don't think he was. I more. believe him. No, but I'm just saying the emotions in general. Right. I mean, we always see how calm he is and whatever, but it's, obviously we all know how much he cares. But it's kind of nice to see that emotion come out of him a little bit. And you saw how nasty he was after he gave up those three runs. I mean, to start the second, he was a little shaky, but he really locked in. And you're right. Yeah. I appreciate the guy. And he's having otherworldly record-breaking season. And uh, it's unlike anything we've either of us have ever seen in our entire lives. Well, I loved what he said after the game, too, is like when he told – he apparently he's, he's saying that after the first inning, he told Jeremy Hefner, like, that's all they're getting. And that's all they got, you know, until the ninth inning. But but DeGrom wasn't in the game at that point. So you're right. And it's funny because I feel like it's interesting. I, I saw some some things on Twitter about like, oh, wow, like DeGrom never shows emotion, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, if you actually like watch his starts, he gets mad in the dugout does, between innings this. when he doesn't do well. Like he does show emotion. You know, he's not a robot. Like Not he to that does, extent though where he's throwing no, shit and doing all that. Yeah. No, but he's throwing water bottles. He throws oh, his yeah, – he, he doesn't good. punch things though. Yeah. Thankfully. He lear- yeah. He's learned that unlike yeah. some other starting pitchers. But – yeah, he doesn't really like show it on the field, but he definitely like does get frustrated in the dugout and like 
I, I appreciate that because it shows me that he like is aware, you know, when he's not pitching his absolute best. That's the thing. Cause he knows he has the ability to like throw a perfect game every day. Like he could do it. He has that ability. So when he doesn't, which is every game, basically, then he has some level of frustration. So I, I do appreciate that. But I, I, I do think people who assume that like him throwing a water bottle in the dugout is like out of character. It's not really out of character. Like no. he, he does it. This happens. It's just nice to see from time to time. Yeah. Kind of it's like, yeah, it's nice to see that. I, I really just, I appreciate when players get angry. Honestly, I appreciate when Louis Rojas goes out, like comes out of the dugout to argue with umpires. I liked when McCann got ejected from the game for arguing balls and strikes, even though the Mets were about to lose. You just like to see some signs of life and mm. the Mets have a lot of personality and signs of life, but sometimes you forget it, it is nice as a fan, even when they are like losing the game to see your frustration represented by the team. And sometimes like that is cathartic to feel. So I appreciated that, seeing that from him. Obviously, they didn't end up winning the game, but he was able to turn it around after yeah, that. Yeah, and I'm so. happy they were able to at least get him off the hook. At know? least. They, all yeah. the times Thanks he's bailed them out. I mean, at least obviously we want them to win the game, but at least he didn't get a loss. Nobody has higher expectations for Jacob deGrom than Jacob deGrom. I mean, and that's been obvious his entire career. He's always expected the best out of himself, and that's probably what makes him so great. You know, like he doesn't he doesn't settle for anything less than uh, perfection. And he doesn't blame anyone else but himself no, for ever, anything. ever, ever. When – when the Mets only score one run and DeGrom gives up two, it's always he puts it on himself. When he only get, even if he only gives up one, he's like, oh, well, I made that one bad pitch. I mean, I got to put our team in the best position to win. He's always been that way. And I'm sure at times he's thinking something else in his head, but he'll let, never let us know that. You know what I mean? And that's what makes him such a, a great leader. And it's not like he's this cocky prick that's like pitching really well. You know what I mean? Like he's humble. No. And, and that's what you kind of got to love about the guy that he's, he's an enjoyable guy to watch, not only on the field, but off the field in his press conferences and, when he praises his team and I mean, it's just, uh, I love their arm in every aspect. And I think every Met fan should. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he displays the like intensity that like I feel watching him pitch. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like when I'm watching DeGrom, I'm like in it, you know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm into like every Mets game that I watch, but I appreciate that. Like, I feel like the intensity that I approach his starts with being like locked in and like focused on everything he's doing. I feel that reflected in how he is on the field and off the field and also how he like, recounts the starts afterwards you know you feel like that intense focus on everything and just I I appreciate that and like more more so than anyone else I feel like you know after games that he loses he's not happy about like anything and like I kind of get that you know it's like the game didn't go well if the Mets lost no matter what happened and I think he kind of feels that way even if he pitched well he's not gonna be like I was really happy with my performance you know you sometimes see pitchers doing that after they lost the game they're like oh you know overall I was happy with my performance you never really see that from him. Never, if, he, if they lost, him. it was a failure for him. Oh, and yeah. like that, you know, that's kind of, you know, feet, you know, that negativity to like overtake you. But at the same time, he ultimately is focused on the team winning. And he's a big part of that when he starts the game. So looking forward, you know, as honestly, as long as if he can just stay healthy the rest of the year, like at least no matter what happens with the Mets, at least if we have DeGrom every five days, like I'm kind of okay. So yeah, I, just... I think we have the, we obviously have the best chances to go far this season if we have DeGrom healthy. Cause I feel like with that time a couple weeks ago when he got, when he got hurt and there was thoughts of whether it was a shoulder or whatever was wrong with him from start to start. I mean, every time he got hurt, I'm like, Oh, there goes the season. Like the season's over. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's how a lot of people feel. And just or when he went on the aisle, I felt like I, yeah, went on the with the aisle. I was just like, shows, away. I mean, if you're going to miss him for any extended period of time I and mean, where would we be without him right now? So I mean, it's just really frustrating, but hopefully the, hopefully the bats can get going. I mean, hopefully a weekend at Yankee Stadium, one of the best hitters parks. In well, all the, the Mets lefties, sport. they better all be in that yeah, lineup. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. So hopefully the hopefully the Yankee Stadium can kind of get them out of their funk and hopefully uh, they can rock Garrett Cole for some home runs because he's been giving up a lot. So hopefully they can do that. Hopefully they don't find any uh, spider tech 
to give Garrett Cole so he doesn't dominate us. But uh, but we'll see what happens. I don't but, know. Uh, I it think should be an exciting. I, I think he's pretty aware of the checks that are happening. Oh, I know, I know. But, but yeah, it is kind of comical. We shall see. He's fallen off a cliff ever since. But we shall see. You're right. So um, yeah. But thank you guys for listening to another episode of Cohen's Corner. As always, you can find Elizabeth on Twitter at nymfan97. You can find myself at giblin underscore jake, and you can follow the podcast itself at Cohen's Corner Pod. So uh, hopefully we uh, killed the Bronx Bombers this week and we got some positivity to come out of our show next week. But uh, talk to you guys soon. Let's go Mets.